we have pretty consistently achieved 85 to 90% occupancy. We really let the market do its business. And yeah. in terms of the biggest thing I've learned in the first year is not to make too many promises because the market is the market and I am their advocate. We are going to do the best for them. We're going to give them an idea of how frequently we think it will rent. So the question is this, how do most agents find the secrets to succeed in today's competitive real estate market, especially when the top agents are keeping those secrets to themselves? That's the question, and this podcast will give you the answer. Hi, I'm Aaron Amuchastegui, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars. All right, Stephanie Brackett here with Jessica Larson on Real Estate Rockstars, another fabulous episode. Jessica, super excited to have you today. Looking forward to having an awesome conversation about short-term rentals. So yeah, let's first of all, for those people who don't know what the short-term rental market is, why don't you go ahead and explain kind of what that is and what you specialize in? Sure. So here in Massachusetts, I get a really nice long window of 89 days. So in Massachusetts, a short-term rental is anything under 89 days, basically. Okay. Um, Many people think of short-term rentals, especially here in real estate, as vacation rentals, but not all short-term rentals are vacation rentals. I do business here on Cape Cod, so the majority of my rentals are indeed vacation rentals, but we do go into a monthly flow. Okay, awesome. And so this is kind of a newer niche in real estate, right? Short-term rentals became a thing probably four or five years ago with the introduction of Airbnb kind of started the whole thing. Airbnb did start the whole thing. And a lot of people actually think of short-term rentals as Airbnbs. That's what they'll say. Well, I have an Airbnb. Um, an Airbnb <laughs> is one of these, uh, it's called an online travel agency. There's a lot of them. They've been existing for about 10 years. They're well-established in the marketplace. Um, and they kind of go against everything that we learn in real estate school. We're always taught, go direct booking, save your fees, direct book, direct yes. book, direct book. Um, And that was a huge hurdle for me when I first jumped into short-term rentals because I had nothing. (laughs) I started at zero and we had to build everything. So the concept of, you know, you're going to need five grand to get a direct booking site and you're going to need another couple grand to integrate this and where are you going to get your property management system? It was, it was a lot. So one of the things we tried to figure out how to do was how do we utilize these OTAs? Um, Airbnb is certainly one of them. Okay. So what, so when you got your license, did you jump immediately into short-term rentals or what led you down that path? Sure. So I actually credit my first broker with this. My first broker on Cape Cod had about 450 rentals. Wow. So I know he had quite an inventory at the time. It was the most he has since sold to Berkshire Hathaway. So they have that inventory. Um, But I started in his rental department. So kind of alongside of having a real estate license and working as a commission person, I did the hourly answering the phones, daily grind of short-term rentals. And so I really got my base in that. At the time, I had also built 
a cleaning company to support my broker. So I was able to sort of take the changeover cleanings. That's, there's some factors in short-term rentals that don't occur in other things. One of them is you need a cleaning partner. Yeah. So it was sort of easy to bounce this little cleaning company off of my broker's existing business. And that was how I got my footing in real estate. That's super cool. So you have this cleaning business that supports the short-term rental and the sh- short-term rental supports the cleaning business. That's you exactly have an ancillary right. business. Interesting. And, and they both feed off each other and you need them both. You need them both. One doesn't, I mean, they exist without each other, but they don't run really well without each other. Right. And actually, I would say that's the biggest hurdle to real estate agents getting involved in short-term rentals. The first thing they say, who's going to clean it? Um, and that is where the concept of strategic partnerships come in. Not everybody needs to build a cleaning company. For me, that was something I wanted to do. I was able to monetize that and we do all types of cleaning now. Um, but for a lot of people, it looks like finding the right cleaning partner. Just finding a partner that can do it and on the fly, hey, I've got someone vacating today. I need you in there now because someone's coming tonight. Yeah. Okay. Take this one step further. I actually recently hooked up an agent at a different brokerage uh, with the tech stack I use. So I use a channel distribution company called Jetstream. Okay. And she had brought me a listing, oceanfront listing and kind of said, I'm thinking about giving this away. What kind of a referral program do you have? And for the first time I was able to look at, at another agent and say, well, what would it look like if you kept that? What if we anchored my cleaning company here on Cape Cod to your real estate business and we gave you sort of a passive, you know, short-term rental business in the background that we could then turn around and support. So in a way I get to help on both sides. And I think that that's really, really cool. That's super cool. So tell me how many, um, how many transactions did you do in the past 12 months or last year? So last year I did five residential sales. All of those are within my base of people who just come to me. I don't really go out advertising for that. We did 60 short-term rental bookings last year on five properties. Wow. Our goal for the first year, because anytime you're jumping into something, you want to grow, but you don't want to grow so quickly that you overwhelm yourself. So my business partner and I had said, let's Let's take our client base and see if we can get five people to let us do their listing distribution. What would this look like? We turn around to Jetstream. We say, we've got these five properties, distribute them for us. And let's make sure that this system works before we turn it up to a degree that we're failing people. Right. Um, And it just changed the dynamic of our whole business. We worked very closely with them for a year to figure out what kind of a tech stack our realtors going to need to support that system. So if I get a listing and suddenly I have a guest, how do I get that task management down to the cleaners without having to jump into the middle of it? Right. How do I make sure that guest is pre-screened, that uh, they've got access codes? How can we get all of that into one nice flow? Um, and that was really what I worked directly with the CEO at Jetstream. His name is Emmanuel Lavoie. He's a genius. And he just, every time I said, I need, I need this, he went out and found it for me. Wow. Um, and so that whole process, the whole platform, all the partnerships are now really what I want other agents to know. Just like MLS, you can be distributing a different kind of listing. Not all real estate is residential sales. There's short-term rentals, long-term rentals, commercial leasing. um, And there's all this opportunity to sort of diversify what you're doing. And that helps you, but it also helps your clients. Because in the example of my my new partner on Cape Cod, Sarah Rock, her client said to her, I want you to manage this listing. 
I don't want a referral somewhere else. You're my gal. And like, that's the magic, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And she's like, Like, crap, I don't know how to do this. Right. She's like, "Uh, help. I need help. That's exactly right. Help. I need, and we have, I'm so, my crew is actually cleaning her oceanfront house today. Okay. We're hoping her first listing will be live in a few weeks. That's awesome. So how many times are you turning these on average? So if you have five listings and you rented 65, like how, that's how many, how long are they staying for? Great question. So in a lot of uh, long established leisure communities like mine, there are some social norms. So for example, most bookings in our high season, July and August have a seven day minimum. Okay. What I quickly discovered and thought was so bizarre and that there had to be a way to overcome this was how many agencies close their houses down. The owners just September gets here and boop, they're done and the houses are closed. And it's unbelievable because there is this opportunity for shoulder rentals and many offices will dabble. They'll go, okay, let's do a five-day minimum or let's do a three-day minimum. Um, And last year, One out of every five stays on Airbnb, according to their CEO, was over 30 days. Oh, wow. I saw that in my my bookings. So my rentals aren't necessarily going every three days in the winter, but we might have somebody come stay for the month of October and then the month of November. Um, And so we have pretty consistently achieved 85 to 90% occupancy. We really let the market do its business. And in terms of the biggest thing I've learned in the first year is not to make too many promises because the market is the market and I am their advocate. We are gonna do the best for them. We're gonna give them an idea of how frequently we think it will rent with a number of tools, a whole revenue forecast. They have to trust that process. And some of that is dynamic pricing. Um, And so we let the market determine how these houses are gonna be filled but they do fill. If you price them properly, they will fill. Interesting. So this concept Interesting. that houses were just closing was making me crazy because <laughs> it's like money like, left on the you table. Could money. You could like, be making money. You could be making money. Let me rent it. You know, and that's sort yeah. of where the conversation started and it went from there. And it is, it's great for the owners. It's honestly great for the cleaners. What started for us was how do we keep our staff on all year round? Busy. In yeah. a seasonal community. Interesting. That's really awesome. So as you're like building out these systems, what were some of the roadblocks you ran into as you're like, okay, I want to be a short-term rental agent. I see the potential of doing this. How, how do I get there? So that was the channel distribution. And that wasn't even a word I had. I had to Google, how am I going to put my listings out? And you see platforms like Guestly and Hostly and all these platforms that require a lot of people in the office. And that's one thing I don't have. In these like resort communities, there's often a labor crunch because you have a disproportionate amount of vacation rental homes so that people cleaning them don't have anywhere to live. Um, And that that becomes a challenge. Um, And so this really helped us figure out how we would get our listings out without needing to build a reservation team because I, everybody cleans. I clean. I get out there on Saturdays and Sundays with my vacuum. If I need (laughs) to, to make sure the houses are perfect. Um, Or I do walkthroughs because they're my clients and I'm putting my name on them. Um, And so this enabled my staff to focus on the on-site operations, on the growing, on the scaling Jetstream in my name, so no, my clients have no idea that they're there, are putting the listings out 
and responding to the guest communication. And that piece was huge because okay. when I started in co-hosting 10 years ago, I was answering Airbnb messages Every question. Yep. at 1130 at night relative right. to properties that might be across the country or what. And it was, it was incredibly overwhelming and it put me in a reactive place in my business. And because there is an integrated guest communications team, I don't deal with that firsthand. They do. I get the call at 9am and we go from there. Um, and that has also been really, really huge. So to be 24 hours and not be 24 hours, right? it was hard to let go of for somebody like me at first, uh, but it's just been great. That's, that's amazing. So how are you finding clients that want to buy and then rent out short-term rentals? Where do you find sure. clients? So I, I have to say, I think I cheat a little being on Cape Cod because they just come to us naturally. So I'm yeah. not sure that's a fair answer. We just have a big secondary home market. I think when you get into a niche, people will think of you specifically. So I know some people when they're going to look for that type investment property will think of me. And those are those buyers that just come to me from my network. The other thing that I found to be helpful and a little counterintuitive is serving as a resource to other realtors around me. So even agents who might have a robust short-term rental department, when they're standing in a house and their buyer says to them, what can I rent this for? They don't know. And right. sometimes they go to their office and their office isn't prepared to handle them because those agents are dealing with customers and don't really have the same buy-in there. And there's a big disconnect. So one of the things I like to do is make sure those agents know that they can come to me and I'll give them that information. They can give it to their client, be the source of the source. And then right. down the road, when they close, they can either pass it off or we can have a conversation about what would it look like if you kept it. I love that. It's really cool. That's super cool. And you're doing it out of, I mean, you're doing it because you want to help people, but in return, eventually it will get you business. And I've heard that over and over on this podcast for different things. I'm doing something without any expectation of return, knowing that if I do it, eventually I probably will get a return. I think it's all about purpose. My purpose is service. I think a lot of realtors, our purpose is service. Um, and just opening and seeing that that's everybody around you. You know, there's, there's business for everyone out there. Um, and, and yeah, it come, what you put out comes back. Yep. A, an abundance mindset and not a scarcity mindset. There's enough for everybody to go around. Now, as far as the short-term rental market goes, uh, you're familiar with your area. Are you familiar with other areas of the country? There's like some places where they're, you can't do short-term rentals. How, do, how does someone find out? okay, this is a great location for a short-term rental. And what, what key factors are they looking for to know if that's going to be a good short-term rental market? Sure. So there are a lot of great tools for this. Uh, okay. Air DNA is one of them. Wheelhouse, Price Labs. A lot of these data analytic companies can give you some insight into what's happening in the vacation rental market in specific areas. I would take it one step further and tell you that anybody that was using those during the pandemic did very well. <laughs> if they had insight into what was happening in the market, they did much better than managers that had absolutely no clue what was going on in the market while it was changing very rapidly. Yeah. Um, so AirDNA is just one platform that I can often use. I can pull up a market area and get a market grade and get an idea. In Massachusetts, I'm very familiar with our short-term rental laws. Right. So part of that is 
working with a broker or being somebody, a property manager that is very familiar with both your state and your local laws because they vary widely. Um, And that's just what it is. You know, unfortunately, you've got to know the area where you're doing business uh, and we can help people kind of figure, uh, most people know where they want to be. Every once in a while, I get a buyer who will say, give me five A plus areas and let's keep our eyes peeled. But a a lot of these buyers come because they really want to buy the second home they're going to retire in someday. Right. They're doing it for them. They're doing it for them. And they're thinking, okay, in the meantime, I'll rent it out short term. I I did that last weekend. We were at my daughter's house. She moved to Boise. It's four hours away. That's where my grandkids are. There's a house like literally right next door to her. And I'm thinking, I should just buy this house. She could clean it in between. She lives right next door. But that was those were all the thoughts going through my head is who's going to clean it? Who's going to make sure it's stocked? All the things that run through your head when you're thinking, oh, I'll just buy it as a short-term rental. You know, on the back end, there's like 87 million things that actually have to get taken care of in order to do that. You wouldn't believe how many really amazing businesses have cropped up, even in terms of amenities. We now use a company that has automated amenities. I mean, just... It's it's an amazing time to be in short-term rentals. And it's funny because I think the pandemic actually really pushed that thing, like skyrocketed it because people were like, I need a vacation, but I have to stay in my house or in a, I don't want to go to a hotel. I want somewhere where my family and I can just go hang out and be comfy. So they went online and found an Airbnb that had a pool and all the fun stuff to stay inside. Yeah. On the flip side of that, I see a lot of people that, um, maybe bought a house during the pandemic. (laughs) So we saw people that left Boston, that came to the Cape, Barnstable County, where I am, according to the New York Times, was the fourth most moved to destination during the great COVID shift. Oh, fascinating. um, Huge pressure on our housing market. But again, a lot of those people are going back to work. So I I put three onboarding in my, my pipeline this week. Those are great numbers for this time of the year, because they've basically missed cool. the summer. And it's just people kind of going back into what might have been pre-COVID normal life. Um, and now they're renting out the place they bought. So that they can keep it. So it's, it's a great alternative. Perfect. Well, that's amazing. So tell me about how, how do you keep yourself organized? As you're doing all of these things, you're running two different businesses basically a cleaning business and a short-term rental business, two separate but combined businesses. How do you keep yourself on track? So I am a wicked time blocker. Uh, You know, my favorite app is my calendar app. Every day I brain dump all of the things I need to do and I check them off and I time block them. Um, And that is really pretty much the key to success. Long ago, when I got into real estate, one of the old birds in the office said, never take anything home with you, clear your desk every day. And he was totally right. I mean, just because little itty bitty things in real estate will eat at you the next day, because it just sort of aggregates and gets stressful. So for me, I like a clean to do list at the beginning of the day, I like to know exactly where I'm going to do everything and check it off as I go. Um, and, and don't let anything get away from me. If, it, if it's scary to do, I do it first. Hey, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui, and I'm interrupting myself to bring you this commercial break from one of our sponsors. There's somebody I've been looking at for a long time, and when they reached out to me, I said, yes, we have to be able to do this deal. So that sponsor is Follow Up Boss. 
there's a lot of superstars out there that use follow-up boss. What's your favorite CRM? We're using follow-up boss. We use follow-up boss. So we use follow-up boss. I love follow-up boss. I love it. We have action plans now for bringing on new agents. We have action plans for our recruiting. Uh, we call them action plans and follow-up boss, which will trigger tasks for the agents to do as far as calling. Follow-up boss, I like more for the integrations with everything, MailChimp, call action, all those different products. I will say we used Sync and we switched from Sync to follow-up boss. Honestly, the greatest CRM I've ever used, I've used Rivity Sync. I've looked at Boomtown, like Real Geeks, just a bunch of different ones. But me personally, I fell in love with Fub about like seven months ago when I first started using it. I've used Boomtown. I've used LineDesk. I've used Conversion. And I think follow-up boss gives you the most integrations mm-hmm. that are simple and it gives you the best ability to go and integrate large things into one single solitary platform yet at the same time it's still affordable i do like follow-up boss better just because it you can text from the app and things like that it's just a little more convenient for me um, it tracks everything that i need i can customize it if i want if i want to go smart list based that's fine if i want to go task based it's fine i think it's one of the best systems and it's very user-friendly it just really helps me never drop a ball because it's so user-friendly. I don't have a one horse in the race with Follow-Up Boss. Purely objective, Follow-Up Boss has been the best one that we've found. Now, I've used Follow-Up Boss. We've actually used it in our non-real estate businesses as well because it's so good at being able to set timers, set automatic texting and emailing. So here's what we got. For Real Estate Rockstars listeners, get a 30-day free trial. That's normally 14 days. So in order to get this, you go followupboss.com, just like it sounds, forward slash rockstars. Go there, get your 30-day free trial, and check it out, especially if you aren't using any systems or any CRMs yet. This will be a great one for you to start with. Thanks again. Now back to our show. I love that. Yep, you got to. I read a book once that talks about um, you have red zones yellow zones and green zones and your green zones are when your mind is like fresh and alive. And that's when you need to do the hard things because your mind can actually do it. And if you try and do one of the hard things in a red zone, your brain just shuts down. (laughs) It can't do it. You don't want to be processing, like creating an Excel spreadsheet with a bunch of different calculations at four o'clock in the afternoon when you haven't eaten and you just sat on a three hour meeting in your mush. So time blocking is the key. Totally the key. I love that. So um, tell me a little bit about if you could go back and redo anything, what would you do differently the second time around? So I've thought about this question because it was on this interview list. And, and there's not a lot that I would do very, very differently because one of my personal mottos, and it, it keeps me working very hard, is that I never want to look back and feel like there's something I should have done that I didn't, that I hate that feeling. Um, so I keep that at the forefront of my mind. I will say that during the COVID shift right in there, there was some action I should have taken as a vacation rental manager as that was happening that I did not. I froze. Uh, We should have adjusted our pricing a little bit in that moment. And I didn't because it was scary. And and like everybody else, we didn't quite know how it was shaking out. Um, So that was the first year we ever took a loss. (laughs) 
hard uh, pill to I swallow. Like that. I don't ever want to do that again. So for me, you know, now I react to market conditions the moment that we're in them. I am communicative with my owners about them. Costs are going up. Costs are going up. They need to know in the moment and we need to stay ahead of those problems. Um, so probably my biggest lesson there was just when I know something in my gut, I've been doing this long enough, don't operate from a place of fear. Uh, and we have since corrected that and we're much better now. Oftentimes when we get stuck somewhere, the only way out is action. And you mentioned that word, like take action. You're stuck, take action. Even if you're sitting at your desk and you're stuck on something and you can't get up and take a walk. Like that could be the action you need. So you, you realized that during COVID and a lot of people did, they just froze because a pandemic, what do you mean? There's a pandemic. What do you mean? I can't leave my house. It was something totally new to everybody. So speaking of pandemics and shifting markets, um, what have you guys seen recently as far as the market shifting and how has that impacted the short-term rental market because interest rates are climbing and are you seeing investors like not want to buy short-term rentals or do you still feel like, hey, this is a great investment. There's tons of money to be made here. Yeah, I haven't felt that reverberation yet. I can acknowledge that Cape Cod being a long-established resort community is a little insulated against bubble bursts like that because we just constantly attract people that do have the income for that second or third or fourth house. Right. Um, so I have not personally felt that yet. As the interest rates start to climb up, who's going to get knocked out of that are the people that are reaching for their second home. Those people that want their retirement home, they're the first ones to go. The investors are still sitting pretty. And frankly, our, our occupancy rates are fantastic. The return is there. There's, so there's that. So tell me a little bit about what the return looks like on a short-term rental in, in your market or in other markets that you've seen. If they pay X, what can they expect to get sure. back out of it? So what complicates that number for them is obviously the mortgage that they hold on the property right. and how overextended they are. I try to tell people 10% is a good return. Um, and probably one of the biggest consumer disconnects, not necessarily investor disconnects, but consumer disconnects is they always think it's worth more than it is. <laughs> sort of like sellers. They that's always in residential real estate. Money, that's, and they that's are very unprepared for the cost to carry that property, uh, particularly in communities that are disproportionately impacted by that secondary housing market. Um, the cleans are often $500 to $1,000 a piece between guests and okay. they're like, what? Um, and so the math in their brain doesn't necessarily the, match the math in their market. And that is something for investors or consumers to really, really watch. So it's a great idea as you're shopping to talk to cleaners, talk to site managers, find out how much it's going to cost to have your laundry. I mean, here on Cape Cod, we have water protection. We have a short-term rental tax that goes into a water fund. So guess how much your laundry is? <laughs> you know, I mean, just things like that are very important to know before you go buying. But 10% is a good, it's, it's a good number to target. Okay. And so, I mean, you mentioned some costs. What are some of the costs that people that are wanting to get into this short-term market want to like, I'm an agent, I want to start doing short-term rentals, selling to investors and then managing them. What are some of the costs that I'm going to have to make sure I know that these guys are going to have to pay? You mentioned cleaning. 
cleaning, laundry, and amenities are three big ones. Um, some of the other ones that can sneak up on people have to do with things that might be on site. For example, a pool. Your cleaner cannot clean the pool. In some states, there's licensure requirements. <laughs> um, so you start talking about things like that, or if you've got certain components of the house that cannot be managed by the cleaner, uh, or sometimes the insurance company will require that a home watch company watch the property as well. Um, so oh, wow. there's all types of little costs to people going there, the trash removal, the internet, all of those things aggregate and add up. So, so that's where you're getting that 10% really number. You're that, taking that's where you get these. that 10% number. And then you just have to remember also you're in hospitality. So occasionally you're going to get a guest that needs a refund. Even if you don't think they deserve a refund every once in a while, you give them one anyway. Or right. um, for example, if the cleaners are late, we send our guests to dinner. Um, and so there's things like that that sort of add up. But on the whole, if you get into a pretty good flow and you maintain your property, then you will not be surprised by things as frequently as people that do not meticulously maintain their property. So have it cleaned after every stay, even if it's your friend. <laughs> uh, make sure you have somebody come in to service your heating and cooling system once a yes. year because you don't want that phone call in the middle of the night in July. <laughs> things yeah. like that are what lead to success. So if the house is well managed, then the risk of those reactive events, you know, is at least as controlled as it could be. Okay. So if someone wanted to start, where do they start? Yeah. So I would say email me, frankly, and like, let's get started. It's a good, if you've got a property in mind, if you've got a client in mind, we can actually start by giving you a revenue forecast. Um, and, and I'm happy to meet with any realtor anywhere who is either thinking about getting into this space or maybe is already in this space. I can think of a really great agent I'm working with on Cape who does five rentals every year because she knows if she scales to six, <laughs> all of her systems will fall apart. The wheels are so coming off. <laughs> everything. And she's like, it's not worth it to me. Um, so that's another really great person because if you're already in this space and you have those systems, we can help you scale to the next level. What we want to do is take an agent and put them in the place to be a portfolio builder and get everything else around them in an automated, happy functioning place. I love that. So where do you get your numbers? So we all know in residential real estate, how to value a property, right? We just go get comps. We get the six closest active and pending comps, and then the three closest closed comps, and we've got our value. How do you value a sure. rental property? So we, I actually combined uh, two companies' data. So I take AirDNA data and wheelhouse data, and I use that to put together a projection. There is a revenue manager that I have at Jetstream as, as part of the commission. I pay for them. Revenue management is included in that, which is amazing. Um, so I can also take a property right to him, and he can help me put that together, kind of taking it off of my plate. So that's another great opportunity for agents. Leverage. To put that revenue forecast together, Dave does it. Yeah. Uh, but for me, I pull air DNA reports really quickly because I know in my market, there is somewhat accurate reflection. In some markets, they may or may not be. In mine, I can produce one really quickly and give us a general idea. And then from there, I, I pull listings and use wheelhouse and we combine the two to find an average. 
Okay. And so what are you, what are you doing when you notice that you're not like, what are your systems for knowing, Hey, this one's been vacant for like three weeks. We haven't had a renter in it. Like no one's actually booked this short-term rental. What are you doing to adjust pricing or what, what are you doing to make sure that you're getting that thing occupied? So it's only happened to me once. And it was with a brand new listing, one house. And um, honestly, that's where the revenue manager at Jetstream comes in. He called me up one day and said, we're going to take your uh, two-day minimum and we're going to make it a three-day minimum. And we're going to take $100 and make that the cleaning fee. And he just gave me all these things we were going to do. And I said, okay. And we were rented the next day. And we actually wow. don't, I've never, ever gone back to them with a vacancy problem. So again, I don't tell them what we're going to rent for. We set floors with our owners and we set reasonable expectations, but we wouldn't accept a client who came in and wanted us to rent the house for four times what we thought it was worth because it would sit vacant. <laughs> so we would tell that owner client, I'm sorry, your house is going to sit vacant. Um, the key is really to find the magic pricing spot and then let the revenue team do their thing and keep it occupied. And, and we've never had a problem. And that parallels residential real estate, right? When you take a listing that you know is overpriced, you just have to have that conversation. Look, I'll price it at this, but in seven days, I'm calling you. If we don't have an offer, we're reducing the price. And then in seven more days, I'm calling you again. It's the same thing. I mean, that setting expectations ensures that you can deliver on what you said you're going to do. You, yes. the, the last thing you want to do is not deliver on what you said you were going to do. So if you could offer one piece of advice to people wanting to do this, what would your advice be to them? So my advice would be to do it and to find the tech stack. I am of the firm belief as a realtor, if real estate agents do not start embracing short-term rental technology, the owners will go direct. The investors will go direct and we will completely fall out of relevancy here. Uh, I believe that in my heart. So I would say if you- Yeah, talk to a travel to agent, right? Yeah, that's what I mean, you know? Yeah. And so I think as realtors, we sometimes fear tech because it's very market disruptive. Um, and we're kind of afraid that that tech might be after our listings. Um, and in this particular case, Jetstream as a channel manager is not looking for listings. They're looking to help agents take listings. And that's very different and other channel managers who essentially are property managers. Um, so I would say build that business. If you've got a client who wants to work with you, find a way to work with them. That's awesome. And you want to keep the client. I mean, the client's your client. You bought and sold property with them. They're your client. You want to keep them close. That's exactly right. Once um, Emmanuel at Jetstream told me that realtors were like little independent marketplaces ourselves. And it's kind of true because we sort of, you know, we sell the house, we rent the house. It says right in my contract, if they're going to sell it while we're renting it, they have to sell it with us because we can't manage the showings and the turnover in five hours yeah. if we don't manage it. Yeah. Uh, and so it really does enable you to keep that relationship and it's a win-win for everybody. This will always be a relationship-based business. There is not a tech in the world that can replace what I do. It can only make me glow more. That's awesome. And they're going to have repeat clients because you know what? These people are going to buy more properties. They're going to see the revenue they're making from this one and think, I should pick up another one of these. Yes. I should do another one. All right. So one last question before we wrap up, what is your personal plan 
for buying short-term rentals to be an owner of short-term rentals and not just a manager of them. Yeah. So that's our goal someday. That is definitely our goal is to get into buying short-term rentals. Um, yeah, I've got a kid going to college this year, two more in the pipeline. Yeah. Um, what I can say is when I do start, I'm going to start small. I see a lot of people telling, I'm going to buy this big beach house or four bedrooms. I will probably start with a one or two bedroom. Those are the ones that make us the most money. <laughs> They're the okay. easiest turnovers. They occupy the best in the winter. Uh, so our wow. day will come. We will probably pick up a little two bed, one bath unit somewhere and get started. Um, just like everybody else. There's also a good amount of agents that do something called arbitraging, which I, maybe you've heard of, but essentially they put properties under lease and then sublet them. I have so seen that. a little yep. more challenging in an area like mine with the regulation existing how it does. Um, but the concept of that and how many different ways there are to manage short-term rentals, you know, the, it's endless. That's really? awesome. Well, this has been super informative. I know there's agents out there that have thought about it. I'm an agent. I've thought about it. It's one of my goals for next year is to get in, get a short-term rental. I want one. And mine is exactly what you said. Buy one where I go a lot or where I want to retire to and let it earn money. Let someone else pay my mortgage. I don't want a long-term rental. I'd rather do short-terms. I think they're probably more lucrative and easier. I don't have someone tearing up my, I'm getting, it's getting cleaned every three days. Like, let's be honest, a long-term rental, who knows how often they're cleaning the house. It is less wear and tear for sure on the house. Yeah, it, the maintenance yeah. is much easier when we're in there routinely. Yep. Awesome. So that's great information. So any agents looking to get into it, they can reach out to you, um, ask questions. You can maybe give them a few pointers, get them in the right direction. Yeah, I'm uh, Jessica at capecodsquad.com. And Cape I actually Cod keep a Calendly um, at bookwithjessica.com. And my Zooms are free because I can talk short-term rentals all day. So my first consultation about where you're doing, <laughs> where you're doing business and where you want to go is always, always complimentary. I love to connect with people and hear how they're doing this crazy short-term rental thing. That's awesome. So reach out. If you need anything from Jessica, she's happy to kind of push you along and help you on your way. Thanks so much. Thank you. All right, real estate rock stars. This is Aaron Muchastegui jumping in again to thank you for listening to the show. Hopefully you guys loved listening to that one. And I want to make sure that you know about all of the extra resources that we have. And also we need your help. They say podcasts are free. You get to listen to podcasts for free. But what is the cost of that podcast? I would say if I could beg you to pay anything for that podcast, I would say the cost of the podcast is going and giving a review. So whether you download it on Google or Apple or YouTube or anywhere else, please go give us a review. Say what you like, what you didn't like. It helps us get better guests. The more reviews, the higher we get in the rate rankings. Right now, we are the biggest podcast out there for real estate agents. And we want to keep that spot because we know there's lots of podcasts out there. So go give us a review. Also, be sure to go to hybendigital.com. If you liked any of the resources that those real estate agents talked about, we've got a huge video vault of those resources for free. Every penny that comes on the podcast that we interview, they give us something that helps them get their deals or helps them work with their clients. And we put that in the toolbox in our vault for you. So go to hybendigital.com and you can get it. If you're looking for real estate education, go to rebusuniversity.com. We have all sorts of courses in there to help 
agents succeed in real estate, how to get the listing, how to negotiate deals, you know, how to become an investor, all sorts of different stuff, rebusuniversity.com. And if you want to chat with me, go find me on Instagram. If you come find me on Instagram, you can send me messages. Tell me what you want to hear. Tell me what you liked, what you didn't like. We try to put a bunch of content out there, too. You can find me in two different places. It's at rerockstars.com for our Real Estate Rockstars page or at erinamuchastegui.com for my personal Instagram page where I can chat with you about all sorts of different things. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.